Hello, Hyperfixation Nation. This is the Get Your Fix podcast where we chat all things fandom, good, bad, and ugly with me, your host, Vaughn. Thank you so much for joining me as always. Um, If this is your first time listening, welcome. Um, If you've been with me on this journey for a minute now, welcome back. You can read more about the Get Your Fix project and subscribe on all your favorite platforms by visiting getyourfixpod.card.co. That's C-A-R-R-D. You can also come hang out with me on socials. I'm most active on Instagram and chat with me about all the things that you like. So my voice is a little bit hoarse today because I went to an All-American Rejects concert last night. I'd forgotten how much I liked them when I was younger um, because I am a, such a lifelong Fall Out Boy fan that that is uh, takes up a lot of my memory space, I feel like. But it was so much fun to revisit some of their discography kind of leading up to the concert. And I realized I knew a lot of their songs. Plus, I just love an outdoor nighttime concert in the summer. Uh, that it's such a good feeling. Um, it, it feels so nostalgic and like whimsical to me, like the humidity and like the breeze, the warm breeze. Um, it almost feels like a like a boys like girl music video where you're blasting your music in the rain on top of a parking deck. Like that's very much the vibe of the summer concert to me. Um, so Otto and I went together because All American Rejects is to Otto what Fall Out Boy is to me. So like that's their very first like intense love of a band. Um, and it was so special to me to be able to share that moment with them of seeing the band that they loved the longest live, like for the first time. It was really special. Um, and I, uh, that's one of my favorite things about fandom, but I'm not actually here to talk about all, Re- all American rejects today. Like that's not the topic. Um, but I just wanted to share since part of what I love about fandom is participating in it and how it can create these core memories with the people that we love. And that was a recent experience that I had. And so I just wanted to share it on the podcast because um, that's that's what we're all doing here, right? Um, so keeping with the trend of the last episode, which is allowing ourselves to enjoy new things, I'm actually going to be chatting about a fandom that I just recently joined. The topic of today is not related to music again. So kind of pivoting away from that a little bit. I mentioned on the Animal Crossing episode that I became a gamer as an adult. Um, so I wasn't huge into video games as a kid. I didn't really have a console other than like a Game Boy handheld. Um, and I didn't get a smartphone until I was in college. I didn't have like a gaming PC or like a computer that could like run computer games. So discovering my love of video games as an adult has really been so much fun. And it's like unlocked this like childlike whimsy in me. That's very fulfilling. But I've also noticed that video games help me regulate my brain when I'm like super stressed or overwhelmed. I never really thought about video games in that way because they get such a bad reputation you know like oh you're like wasting time and it's like you know making your brain violent or whatever but it really does help me self-regulate however i do tend to have a little bit of an addictive personality at times so i definitely have overdone it with video games and bitch them until five in the morning especially when i get into a new one that is something that i've had to like really rein in as since i wasn't a gamer as a kid But for the most part, I love being able to devote some of my free time to playing a game either on Switch or on my phone um, instead of like mindlessly scrolling on social media and like reading about all the awful shit in the world. I really have been liking that a lot. Um, It's also been a great way to connect and spend time with my friends and with Otto, like being able to play games together, like we talked about on the Animal Crossing podcast, like collaboratively online with other people. 
Uh, I'm going to be talking about mobile games today, and I've uh, often been lovingly teased by my friends about my commitment to mobile games. So once I download a game on my phone, it is a really rare occurrence that it gets deleted. I literally still play Kitty Collector and Pokemon Go every single day. And so recently, I've discovered the allure of gacha games. So today's episode is going to be all about gacha games, how they work, good and the bad, and then which one actually pulled me into the gacha game realm. So let's dig in. So a quick and dirty primer about gacha games for you. If you're not familiar with them, you have no idea what I'm talking about. They are video games that implement the gacha mechanic and gacha is spelled G-A-C-H-A. Um, and it's derived from like a Japanese word, which is translated to like toy vending machine. They use what's called a gotcha mechanic or a toy vending machine mechanic. So if you think about going to like an old school arcade and you're playing like the claw game or like the crane machine and it keeps stealing your quarters while you're trying to get the same teddy bear for your crush. It's exactly like that, but in the digital space. Um, so they entice players to spend in-game currency, whatever that game's in-game currency is to receive random high value in-game items for collecting. So some in-game currency, uh, depending on the type of game, can be gained through regular gameplay or like side quests or online supply requests if you're playing one that um, you can play online with other people. Um, But for some games, if you reach a certain threshold of difficulty where you can't advance, it really highly incentivizes you to spend your real world money so that you can progress in the game or like get get the items that you want. So this game model started being widely implemented, like I mentioned, like in Japan in the early 2000s, um, and has now spread to have like mass global appeal. And most of them are free to play. So you don't actually have to purchase the game to play it. Like you can just download it for free. And most of them are mobile games rather than on a console. So uh, you can play on your phone or they're like on like a Steam engine on like your computer. So I looked up a list of what are some of the most popular gacha games that have like widespread mass appeal that like a lot of people had he- have heard of before, just to kind of give you an idea of what I'm talking about. So like Cookie Run Kingdom is really popular. I think BTS did a collaboration with Cookie Run Kingdom. Um, so Animal Crossing Pocket Camp, Raid, Shadow Legends, Tower of Fantasy, and then like, of course, Genshin Impact. I think Genshin Impact is... Uh, the most well-known. A lot of popular anime franchises also have gacha games to like help capitalize on the popularity of the medium. So like, um, or the property. So like One Piece has a gacha game, Dragon Ball Z, Pokemon, and all of these games have different core mechanics and like gameplay. So they're not all the same style of game. Like some of them are, you know, combat, some of them are tower defense, some of them are strategy. Some of them are story-based games, but they all have that toy vending machine incentive to advance as a through line. So that's what makes them gotcha games. So like I mentioned, in my opinion, I think Genshin Impact is the most well-known. Genshin is absolutely viral, and I've had it on my list for years to get into, and I just never have because it felt overwhelming, like how many different items and mechanics there are. So I haven't actually gotten there yet uh, or like taken the time to like dive in. But the reason I think that Genshin and other story-based role-playing games that are like similar to Genshin are so popular is because they've tapped into this chip in a lot of like fandom people's brains that is just like obsessed with collecting pretty boys. So like there's a ton of overlap that I see between people who play Genshin, K-pop fans, anime fans, and like otome gamers. Atome games, if you're not familiar, they're story-based games where the goal is to romance a male character. 
it's like got like chat options and and things like that. Um, The most popular in recent years is Mystic Messenger, where you're like in a chat room with a bunch of pretty boys and you pick one to romance. And like in K-pop fandoms, like K-pop has a photo card element, like photo card collection is huge, right? Like every album comes with a photo card where you're like trying to pull your favorite member. And so that's almost like a real world example of gotcha mechanics. So I myself collect for certain members. So like I collect for Dino from 17. I also collect for uh, Mino from Winner. I have a binder full of boy paper. And I feel like Genshin has combined the appeal of like a role playing game, like turn based strategy, um, and outrageously sexy character designs that are collectible. And you can like chat with them. So it's highly motivating to try to get your favorite characters to drop through that gotcha mechanic. And of course, like obviously, like everything that I talk about, I'm speaking from a gay man's perspective. So I'm actively looking for pretty boys. But from what I hear, there are tons of gorgeous girls in Genshin too. Like I've seen some of really beautiful designs for for the girl characters. Um, so there's a little bit of something from ev- for everybody. Um, and it has that special something that keeps people hooked. The keeping people hooked part is where I feel like the criticism of gotcha games comes in. So I want to just talk a little bit about what the, like the dark side, I guess, of gacha games can be. So there's this like underbelly of monetization in gacha games. So like I mentioned, they're free to play, free to download, but they're highly incentivized in order to get you to eventually make in-game purchases, which does ultimately make the developer money. This like underbelly has gone so far as some international money laundering happening through gacha games. So I'm not like a white collar attorney. I am not, you know, a game developer, a business person to that degree. So I'm not going to be able to explain to you exactly how we get from like point A to point B of like gotcha games to international money laundering. But I do know um, when I was doing research for this episode, for this episode, that there have been several lawsuits filed over the years against gotcha game studios for exploiting players for profit. So there's been a lot of like research in the sociology space, which I think is pretty cool. I'm a sociologist, as I I think I've mentioned on this podcast. Um, There's been research done that like shows um, a high relationship between uh, gotcha games and traditional gambling and the effects that it has on your brain. Um, There's been some psychology studies on this too. So like the the mechanic of like playing until you pull your favorite character is kind of the same as like gambling, right? Like you keep you keep betting until you win. And this has been uh, shown to be especially true for complete gotcha game models. So a complete gotcha game is where the whole purpose of the game is to pull the items and collect the items until you complete the set. So there's no additional combat or story or anything like that. Like the whole point of the game is to collect items. Um, So over the years, there have been several cases of kids under 17 spending over $1,000 on gotcha games, because unlike gambling, there's been no regulations on who can play them. You know, there's no age restrictions in the app store, like you can just log into the app store and download it. And a lot of kids like, you know, for example, like I have an iPhone, and if you have like a shared family Apple account, like kids can just buy shit, right? And so that's, you know, can be super damaging, um, especially like if you're exposing people whose brains are still developing to like gambling gambling mechanics they're like more likely to have addiction in their adulthood and so like for a real world example of how gotcha games resemble gambling there's some like really rare characters in genshin that are like high value characters that you're that are really hard to get 
Um, and so in order to try to acquire them, you have to spend in-game currency to do polls. So you like pay, quote unquote, pay in-game currency to pull a character and you pull characters over and over again until you get that rare character that you want. And there will sometimes be like special events where the drop rate increases for those rare characters or you can do side missions to get them. But uh, a lot of these lawsuits were proposing that rare character drop rates need to be made public. So what was happening is they were like, oh, you know, we've increased the drop rate for this character for a week, like increase your pulls, but they weren't actually telling you what the probabilities were. Um, so players didn't know their real odds for pulling the characters that they want. So they're just like endlessly spending money to try and pull them. And so that transparency is um, required in traditional gambling. Like you have to have probabilities and stuff available. There has to be like projections and like resources provided. And gotcha games just aren't super regulated right now. So where I'm landing with it, me personally, how I feel about it, is that yes, I 100% feel that game developers, governments, regulatory bodies do have a responsibility to be transparent and to regulate gotcha games and prevent exploitation, make it harder for kids to get their hands on them, or at least make it harder for them to do in-game purchases. And they've made really great strides forward in this area. So they've banned complete gotcha games and they put caps on monetization. There have also been associations created in several countries to monitor gotcha game developers so that they can't just, you know, endlessly exploit people for money. They, you know, the, the developing studios that were using gotcha games for international like money laundering uh, since been held accountable. So I do think that we're getting there. I think with any new technology, like it's going to take time. Like I think about we're regulating in real time, like web three and crypto and AI and all that shit, which has the potential to be extremely harmful for our society. And we're just now figuring out how to regulate them. So I kind of feel like gotcha games falls in that area too. Like as we understand them more and as they become even more popular and become a, um, you know, cornerstone in the gaming industry, like more regulations will come and will make it so that it's sustainable long-term and people aren't being harmed by playing them. On the other side of it though, I feel like most things in our life, like to the degree that we have control, we have an individual responsibility to manage our behaviors and get help when we need it and like rely on the resources that we do have available. I know that that's not true for everyone and we don't have control over systemic factors like huge corporations exploiting us for money but we do have the ability to like have control over our own lives and like set boundaries for ourselves and how we're interacting with those things so like for me in the first 40 48 hours of playing my first gotcha game which i'm going to tell you about in a minute i'm really excited i was like nose to the screen hooked and could not put it down like i said i stayed up till five o'clock in the morning the first night i played it and i had to like check myself and call myself in for that behavior. And I had to self-regulate um, and start carving out time for myself to play. And like, that was like my responsibility to not let a video game like totally take over my life, right? And so it was important for me to contextualize what is the importance of playing a gotcha game in the overall scope of my life? Like how important is that to me? I had to prioritize that for myself. And like, I decided like, you know, I can't let it consume my whole world, even though it's designed to do that. So like, I have developed a healthy relationship with gaming. Um, and part of that, I think, is because I got into games as an adult. And I do think it's important to, like, build time into your life for leisure. Like, that's what I'm always talking about on this podcast. Like, fandom and enjoying things, at least to me, is, like, so important to have in my life. Like, 
I don't think that life is about grinding all the time and working toward this like profitable goal of like making money and, you know, like running the, like being a business entrepreneur, right? Like so much about life to me is about pleasure and, and enjoyment and fulfillment. But I do think that you have to have balance and like have do things in moderation. And like, uh, so for me, I was like, okay, let's put the gotcha gay down. Let's do our nighttime routine. Let's be normal about this. So I, I, for me personally, I have found like with forming this healthy relationship with gaming, gotcha games can be just and rewarding as fun as traditional games um, and create fun and vibrant communities around them and really fun and robust fandoms. So the one that finally pulled me in that like forced me to finally download a gotcha game for the first time in my life is called Path to Nowhere, which incredible title, love the title. And so now that I've been playing it for like a couple weeks, um, it's popular enough that there are like fandom pages and like wiki forums about it and like communities and like there are cosplays and stuff but it's still small enough that it isn't listed yet as like a notable gotcha game and the community is like small and accessible so that's like the perfect level of popularity for me when I'm first getting into something that's why like Genshin feels so overwhelming to me is like there are people who play Genshin professionally like in leagues and so you know it just feels like a little bit of it didn't feel entry level to me and Path to Nowhere definitely, definitely does. So I feel like I can really dig in and like talk about it with people without having to consume like a huge encyclopedia of historical fan knowledge and lore. So Path to Nowhere is a strategic role-playing game. It's developed and published by Eisno Games, and it first came out in October of last year, and it was originally released in China. And it has since been released in uh, Korea and in the States um, and Japan also. So just like the last episode, I discovered it from a promoted ad on Instagram Reels. I love my Instagram Reels. Um, and it and it really it really got me. So they they really got my number because what interrupted my scrolling with this ad that made me stop and look at it um was they showed me a 2D live animation of one of the collectible characters, and his name is Levi. And he's like a underworld scumbag and he was so sexy and they had done a a voice actor for him that was like basically like nagging me (laughs) and I was like oh I have to have this man and so I downloaded it immediately hit that install button so fast swiped up and I've been playing ever since I have yet to collect Levi but um I have since discovered other characters that I like so that's good but he was the one that like hooked me So the premise of the game is that you are the newly appointed chief of the Minos Bureau of Crisis Control, also known as the MBCC, which is a investigation. It's basically a police department. Uh, So you wake up from being knocked unconscious during a prison break at the MBCC facility where you like have imprisoned people and you're like waking up and your lieutenant whose name is Nightingale is trying to keep you from dying. And she is so hot. like. Green-haired anime girl, tight leather skirt, you know, like sexy police uniform, whatever. So I can definitely get how that would like draw you in, uh, especially if you are like someone who's like attracted to women, especially like she is such a babe. It's actually kind of funny because when I started playing Path to Nowhere, I quickly realized that the vast majority of the characters are women and that the game is really... The target audience for game for the game is straight dudes, I think. <laughs> but uh, I have ended up like loving all of the characters so much, even though the vast majority of them are girls or women, 
now I'm like, oh, these are these are my girls. I will defend them, protect them with my life. So now I'm like loving it. Um, and I still am trying to collect pretty boys, but I still really love all of the the women characters. They have a lot of dimension, which is cool. So the world state is a dystopian future where uh, your the city that you live in, which is called Dis City, has fallen to ruin due to the presence of super enhanced people called sinners. So the sinners are the gotcha mechanic for Path to Nowhere. So um, they're the collectibles. So you're trying to like get all of the sinners and complete your like arrest roster. So the way that you collect them is by conducting arrests. And so you have to get in-game currency to get arrest tokens so that you can collect sinners. So once you have sinners, you also want to level them up for combat. Uh, and in order to do that, you have to require you have to acquire specific resources. So that's where the incentive comes into play continuously um, and like log in every day. And they hope that you eventually spend real money. But Path to Nowhere does tons of promotional events that make it really easy to acquire additional resources. They give you rewards every day for logging in. And they have login rewards in different areas. So you can potentially earn four login rewards a day. You as the chief also have a profile and you have individual achievements as you're leveling yourself up. And they give you rewards for every single one of those um, actions that you achieve towards progress. And they have a main story that's chaptered. So like each chapter has 13 missions within it. And all 13 of those missions have like sub missions that you can gain additional rewards. So like if you get like 100% completion rate or like if you complete the mission without losing any sinners or whatever. So that's like the main story. But then they also have um, a lot of side quest events that doesn't require you to spend anything. So like if you're playing the main story, you have to spend what's called stamina. And stamina, you have a cap of how much stamina you get in a day. You can purchase stamina, but there's a cap for how much you get for free in a day. Like the game will just give you stamina and you just recover stamina by being idle. Also, like if you just don't play the game, it like builds up stamina for you. So you need stamina to play the main story. Um, but the side requests, the side quest events, you don't have to spend stamina to play. So you can unlock deeper lore for like side characters. You can acquire um, exclusive sinners and like exclusive resources and items and things like that. And I've actually sometimes enjoyed just focusing on a side quest instead of the main story. So I have not yet had to pay real money in order to advance in the game and level up my sinners. I haven't had to do that yet. But I also have an insane amount of patience where I will just do raids, let my stamina recharge for days before I ever advance. I'll play the side quest stories. I will do all of the little like um, side mission, like dispatch missions, dispatch missions and things like that. Like I don't have to advance the story to be having fun. And even just collecting resources is fun to me. And so like I'll go and do little challenges to like increase my disc coins or whatever. To me, it's like perfect because I can come back to the main story whenever and I don't feel like an urgency to move it forward. So I haven't had to spend real money yet. Another way you can earn resources, which I think is really cool, is you can join a secret society in the game. Um, and play online with other people all over the world. And you can also create your own secret society and invite your real life friends to join it. If you have other friends that play Path to Nowhere, I don't have any other friends that play it right now because like I just found it. And like I said, it's like fairly new. Um, but once I feel like I have a little bit of a better grasp of it, I might start trying to like influence my gamer friends to come play with me. And maybe, maybe I'll do a get your fix secret society on Path to Nowhere if people wanted to join. That would be fun. 
But anyway, so once you join a society, you can uh, now you now have access to your secret society member sinners, and they can assist you in combat and in dispatch missions, which is really fun. There's also like a, a private live chat um, that's all in game inside the app. So you're like only talking to the people who are in your secret society, which is really fun. So you don't have to like create a discord server or whatever. Um, it's all in the app. And I really like that because it helps you have some separation. So you don't have, you're not like constantly getting notifications in other platforms that maybe you're talking to other people on. So it helps me like create boundaries. The other cool thing about the secret societies is that you can donate to your society pot of resources three times a day that like increases your overall resources. And you can also do supply requests through like a mutual aid network um, with your members. So you can say like, I specifically need this item. Does anybody have it to donate? And then you can also donate to them. So it's like an even exchange. Um, So it's really cool. It's like a self-sustaining ecosystem, which creates like even more avenues to acquire in-game currency and supplies without having to spend your real world dollars. And so I have downloaded other mobile games. Like I said, usually once I download a mobile game, it stays on my phone like nine out of 10 times. But I have downloaded games where I played the first 15 minutes of story and I was like, this is boring. I don't care. And I deleted it. So what really got me to keep playing it instead of immediately deleting it after the tutorial is the story. It is so well written. I love the writing. The plot and world state, like I mentioned, is like a dystopian sci-fi mecha situation, like similar, like I mentioned on my anime openers episode, like y'all already know, like, I love that shit. I love a dystopian future, like a dark greasy like fucked up narrative that you're like navigating and I that's like totally my wheelhouse when it comes to fiction so the story that you're fed from the NBCC like what they're telling you um as the new chief who has lost your memories um is that the sinners are a group of mutated and dangerous convicts who have lost their minds completely but have gained extraordinary abilities as a result of losing their minds And the way that they lost their minds is from a condition called mania that they get from this item called mania crystals, which are like these blood red crystals that are causing them to be insane, right? So the main plot is that you as the new chief are supposed to round up all of the escaped prisoners from the prison break, re-arrest them, re-detain them, and then use them to discover why people become sinners So you can put an end to mania and restore order to this city. What's really interesting is that you yourself have a special ability called the shackles. And that's why the MBCC is trying so hard to keep you alive. And why they're investing all these resources and keeping you as the chief is because you have this ability called the shackles. And the shackles are activated through physical touch. So like you have to put your hand on a sinner and like make contact with their physical form um, in some way. And the shackles basically is energy that flows from your body into theirs, which allows you to bind them to you with like control and authority. So once you've shackled a sinner, they then have to follow your commands. Um, It doesn't brainwash them. So they like keep their personality and their autonomy in like their mental state, right? So it's not like you're turning them into like a vegetable, but it then, but it does require them to listen to you. And so if someone tries to retaliate or try to kill you, you can just say like, you know, like cease and desist or whatever and they're and it forces them to stop so like i kind of think about it as like the uh like kagome telling inuyasha to sit it's like kind of like that so as you go through the game and you advance the story and complete side quests and stuff you increase your sinner's compliance and you can also increase their compliance by interrogating them sending them on dispatch mission, missions and things like that 
And the more compliant they are, the stronger their abilities are when you use them in combat. So what I have learned, so so far I'm only on chapter four. I'm on four nine right now. And so what I've learned is that not as all as it seems in this city and in the MBCC, of course, as expected. So what you learn through arresting and shackling the sinners and then interrogating them and like learning more about them, unlocking their lore, updating their profiles, is that most of them are from marginalized backgrounds and are fighting to survive in this like hostile, oppressive world, particularly in this one area of this city, which is called the syndicate, which is like overrun with gangs and like heavily policed. And like the gangs hate sinners because they think sinners is what has caused this city to fall into ruin, like these like diseased, insane people. And like the government is also like sending you as the MBCC out to like arrest them, take them all off the street. So sinners have built these like intricate communities where they look out for each other in this world that's abandoned them on all sides. Even like the organized crime area of this city doesn't want them. And so sinners are like these like second class or even like third class citizens. And they are, they like look out for each other. So they have these like networks. And as the chief of the MBCC, like by me arresting them, like I'm disrupting these ecosystems of support of these marginalized people. Uh, On the other side of it too, though, like as I'm arresting them, I'm creating relationships with them through the gameplay. And that's like by design, right? At least from my perspective. So you get to know the sinners as human beings and you start to build bonds with them and like form trust with them so that they like trust you. And you can also, it's, it's really cool. Like in your chat options as the chief, when you're talking to them, you can kind of choose one of two routes, which is like, building empathy with them, getting to know them, seeing their side of things, or like being the like hard ass chief of the the like crime bureau that like wants to put them in jail and does see them as second class citizens. Um, and so it causes you to like grapple with what your role is in the world. And if you're on the right side, and you kind of have to choose which direction you've, you've gone in. If you know me at all, you know that I've chosen the like empathy side, the empathy route where I'm like getting to know them where I'm like uh, choosing to have empathy with them. I am building trust with them. I'm treating them as equals. Like I'm, you know, trying not to use my powers for evil and force them and tell them what to do. So like one of the only times I've used my ability for shackles of like to tell them what to do is to get them out of danger or something like that. So like that's, and that's also, I'm going to talk about this one day, but that's also how I have navigated games like Undertale. Like that's just always the, the route that I take. And what I think is really interesting, interesting is that I also have this hidden ability, right? With shackles that nobody else in the MBCC has, like no one else has like special innate abilities. They're all just like regular people who use like weapons And the world state is that the only people in this society with hidden abilities are sinners, right? So what does that make me? Am I a sinner? Like, who do I really answer to? Am I just a pawn in the MBCC's game to get sinners off the street? Like, am I disposable? And who is Lieutenant Nightingale actually? Like, does she report to me or is she like my keeper for the MBCC? Why have I lost my memories? So like, those are all the things that are super interesting to me. And it really hooked me in. And I think that the lore of the main character is is just as interesting as like the sinners. So it's my exact type of storyline. I'm, I'm loving it. It's morally gray. 
forces me to reckon with, you know, what is legal versus what is the right thing to do, like who makes the laws. It forces me to consider the ethics of my role, like who are the good guys and who are the bad guys really, who are the chaotic neutrals. And I just love a sci-fi dystopian fantasy setting. That's my favorite world to navigate fiction, like I mentioned. So um, I'm just really loving it. I'm so invested. I'm having so much fun discovering all the game mechanics too, like never having played a gacha game and how to use the supply chest. Um, so like you can combine materials to many premium materials. I'm enjoying getting to know all my sinners better. Um, so I'm really, really enjoying it. I know I mentioned uh, that Levi was the sinner that got me hooked and made me download. But now that I've been playing for a while, I wanted to sh- just share who my favorite sinner is. His name is Che and he's a B rank sinner. So like they're ranked by threat level, quote unquote, but the threat level is actually just like how good they are in combat. And so you have S rank to B rank. Um, so S, A, and B are the tiers. So Che is B rank. And even though he's a B rank, I decided to like max him out, level him up the most out of all of my sinners um, so that I can spend the most time with him in the game and like unlock more of his story because I just love him. But also he's my preferred type of character to play with in combat strategy games. Like other games I've played like this are like Fire Emblem. So he's an offensive player. Like I am not a tactical defense player. I am a brute force player. So he has really high attack. He also has like pretty good defense for being an an attack player. He's like a pretty balanced character. And he also is a dual wielder for his weapons. So that means he has weapons in both hands, which is my favorite kind of class um, in in these kinds of strategy games. And he's also strong against enemies who use magic. So he has uh, these like additional like magic negating abilities um, that makes him a little bit more advantageous than just like a brute force player, right? So I love him. I uh, have have leveled him up a bunch to kind of like counteract his B rank listing so that he is still competitive in combat. Um, But the reason that I like him so much is his backstory is like everything to me. He's my exact same type of character. So prior to his arrest, he was working as like an underling lackey for an organized crime uh, faction called Whitestone Industries. So he is like you know, doing like the shitty, like dirty work for this organized crime organization. So like, I feel like a kinship with him with the way that I framed my, my chief character, like, are we both pawns in the, in the, in the grand scheme? Um, And who, who's really the decision maker and what agency do we have? So his personality is like on the surface, he's like deadpan, unemotional. He's like a no bullshit, like ruthless killer who's really totally desensitized to crime and violence. Like his flavor text after you complete a level is like, let's keep moving. It's just corpses. There's nothing to look at here. He's just really like emotionless. And you can tell he's kind of like been broken by being in organized crime for so long and like being treated as a sinner for so long. But as you get to know him, you find out that he loves plants and animals. He wants more for his life than just being under the heel of the crime boss he serves. And so he like willingly lets himself get arrested. He's like, whatever, who cares? And he like, once you get him, when you interrogate him, or you're like doing surveillance of your sinners, he's like loafing around a lot. And so he really just wants a life of ease. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love a broody boy with a heart of gold. Like that is my type of boy. And his character design is so hot, like I mentioned. So he has these like black tactical tech pants with like, big stompy boots and like a black ball cap with like the Whitestone Industries logo on it. 
And then he just wears like a white t-shirt with like a strappy oversized like taupe jacket over top. And then he has like long willowy blonde hair. Yeah, he's gorgeous. And then he wears like a blue stripey, blue and black striped scarf that he like covers half of his face with sometimes. So he's got this, that kind of like rogue element. Um, and then he's wielding, like I said, his dagger and his axe in both hands. So yeah, totally obsessed with him. He's also a getaway driver, which I think is very hot. So I know like other people who play strategy games, a lot of them, like especially like people who play like Dragon Age or like Fire Emblem, like I've read a lot of forums about people not caring about the characters as much and just like optimizing your combat team as much as possible so that you play more strategically. But for me, these kinds of games are about a good story in Hot Boys. So that's the way I play it. It's really, really fun. I am still striving to get Levi because I want to see if he is as alluring as the Instagram ad made him out to be. So, you know, I'm I'm on pursuit for Levi. Um, but there's a couple of other male characters that I really like too. Like Mr. Fox is really hot. I've since collected Demon and Wolverine. They're all sexy. I'm having a great time. And so I, you know, I encourage you, like, if you've never played a gotcha game or you just, like, love dystopian, morally ambiguous, like, plot lines and you uh, love the little dopamine hit of collecting items, maybe consider Path to Nowhere. I'm going to share, like, a couple of screen grabs and stuff on the Instagram to go along with this episode so you can kind of see the gameplay. But I'm really enjoying it. And uh, I am looking forward to continuing to progress the story. Like I said, only on chapter four. So. That is probably what I'll do as soon as I uh, finish out for today. I will go and check my supply runs. Um, But that's all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed this deep dive on gotchas and Path to Nowhere. And if you do download the game, let me know who your favorite sinner is. And also let me know other gotcha games that I should try if you are like a diehard gotcha player. Besides Genshin, that is on my list. I am definitely going to get into it now that I know kind of what to expect. But yeah, so maybe some other unsung gotcha games. Uh, I'd I'd love to look into it. And if you liked this episode, as always, and you want to support the show, um, it really helps me a lot if you uh, review it on whatever platform you're listening to right now. Send it over to one of your friends and ask them to give it a listen and turn on automatic downloads on whatever platform you want. It really, like those three things really help a lot in helping get your fix get discovered. As always, if you want to chat with me about a specific property or you have thoughts on what I've already covered have corrections for me or you just want to yell at me in my inbox you can send me an email at getyourfixpod at gmail.com so i will catch you all in the next one to chat about our next hyperfixation <laughs>